Hey everyone, you are listening to the Covenant Grace Church podcast. We are a gospel-centered community on mission with Jesus in Port Elizabeth, South Africa. Enjoy the message. We've been going through a series in our Christmas series called The Characters of Christmas. And uh, this morning we are finishing this series. And uh, we've been looking at various characters. We've looked at Mary, we looked at the shepherds, we looked at the wise men. And now we're looking at Simeon. Simeon was an Old Testament uh, priest who is now living in this particular story um, uniquely between times, uniquely between the old and the new. And, uh, and we're going to pick up on his story shortly. And so that just gives you an idea of where we're at. But let me ask a question. Have you ever wondered what was playing on the radio after that first Christmas in Bethlehem? I know you lie awake at night wondering, you know, what, what were the greatest hits? What were the greatest hits in Israel during that first century in Israel? Well, you don't have to lie awake any longer because Dr. Luke in Luke's gospel has kindly shared his Spotify playlist with us. And I'm not kidding. He has shared his song list with us. In fact, these are the top four songs that were on repeat in Israel for decades. The first was the Magnificat, and in second place, the Benedictus. The third greatest hit was Gloria and Excelsius Deo, and the fourth lesser known was Nunc Dimittas. Well, you might be scratching your head wondering what are these songs. Well, these are Firstly, famous Latin words, and anytime anybody ever speaks Latin, you could kind of feel you're a little bit too big for your boots, and I feel that right now. So let me just go a little further and explain. These are the Latin translations. If you've got a Latin Bible, you can read in the Latin Scriptures. From Luke chapters 1 and 2, you will find these Latin phrases attached to songs. So, for example, the Magnificat is taken directly from Luke 1, Verse 46, where Mary declares, my soul magnifies the Lord. And so this was the number one greatest hit in Israel for many, many years. In second place was the Benedictus, which was sung by Zechariah. Zechariah and his band, filled with the Holy Spirit, repeated these words in Luke 1, verse 68, blessed be the Lord God of Israel. And that was a great hit. In third place was the Gloria and Excelsius Deo, probably the most famous of all, but, but, but in third, just because you know, they didn't have a good bassist. And, uh, and so it was from uh, Luke 2, verse 14, where the angels appeared to the shepherds and they sang, glory to God in the highest. And then finally, the one we, we don't really know, the one we are least familiar with, and the one that we're going to be looking at today is the Song of Simeon, the priest that I mentioned earlier. And it is Nunc Dimitas. I had to Google the pronunciation, so I'm pretty sure I got that right. But in Luke chapter 2, verse 29, we read this. It says, now you are letting your servant depart in peace. Depart in peace, Nunc Dimitas. Why? Why is he saying this? What's the context? Well, firstly, these four songs are framing the Christmas story. These four songs are helping us interpret the Christmas story. And the third thing that we need to understand here is that they are reason for rejoicing. Any song is reason for rejoicing, to sing and to celebrate. 
And so will you come with me just for a couple of minutes this morning, and we're going to listen to the song of an aged man, an old, grayed man, a man who is stooped over, a man who's waiting, a man who is serving, a man who is praying, and a man who is singing. His name is Simeon. Let's read the story from Luke 2, verse 25. It says this, Now there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon, and this man was righteous and devout, waiting for the consolation of Israel. And the Holy Spirit was upon him, and it had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ. And he came in the Spirit into the temple, and when the parents brought in the child Jesus to do for him according to the custom of the law, he took him up in his arms and blessed God and said, Lord, now you are letting your servant depart in peace according to your word. For my eyes have seen your salvation that you have prepared in the presence of all peoples a light for revelation to the Gentiles and for glory to the people of Israel. And his father and his mother, Mary and Joe, marveled at what was said about him. And Simeon blessed them and said to Mary, his mother, Behold, this child is appointed for the fall and rising of many in Israel, and for a sign that is opposed, and a sword will pierce through your own soul also, so that the thoughts from many hearts may be revealed." The first thing I think Luke wants us to understand in this particular passage is actually something about Jesus. We're going to look at Jesus, then we're going to look at Simeon, and then we're going to look back at Jesus. But the first thing Luke wants us to notice is that Jesus is not just any Jew. Jesus is a world-class Jew. What do I mean by that? Well, firstly, let's just think about it. What are they doing? Mary and Joe have taken the arduous trip to go to Jerusalem to visit the temple. They've gone to the temple because all faithful Jewish families would do this. There's a newborn child, particularly the firstborn, and and in particular the male firstborn child. And so under Jewish law, under the law of Moses, they were required to go up to the temple to do their customs, to, to go through the customary rituals which involved circumcision and naming of the child. We see this in Luke 2, verse 21. It says, at the end of eight days, he was, when he was circumcised, he was called Jesus, the name given by the angel before he was conceived in the womb. And when the time came for their purification, according to the, what, the law of Moses, they brought him up to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord. Now, this phrase, according to the law of Moses, is repeated at least five times. And it's almost like Luke just wants to get our attention here because what he's trying to communicate about this little family of three, you've got Mary, Joe, and Jesus. What is he trying to say about this little family of three is that they obeyed the law meticulously. Now, we don't know much about Jesus' childhood. We've got a few stories about his birth. And we could conclude then that one of the most remarkable things about Jesus' childhood is how unremarkable it is. But we've got some basic information, and and Luke almost gives us one throwaway line. It's, It's fairly interesting. In Luke 2 verse 40, he says this, And the child, speaking about Jesus, grew and became strong. 
thanks, Luke. Is that it? In other words, what Luke's saying is that he got taller each year. Then it's almost like, you know, the parents could have marked him off on the doorpost. You know, Jesus was now at three and then at four. You know, what is he saying? That he needed new clothes every year, new shoes, that he learned to read and write. And in many ways, Jesus grew like any Jewish boy would have grown. Jesus grew in a Jewish family, immersed in Jewish custom, under Jewish law. But what we begin to see here is the faithfulness of this family to the law of Moses. And if we follow this line through and we study the life of Jesus, what we begin to see is that Jesus is not just a good Jewish boy. He's the only ever good Jewish boy. He's a world-class Jew in in the sense that uh, he's the only person who ever actually obeyed the law of Moses. I mean, have you ever read the law of Moses? Have you ever, I mean, it's one thing to read it, another thing to even live it out. And what we see in Jesus throughout his lifetime is that he perfectly obeys the law of Moses, not only in action, but in deed and thought and motive. I mean, let's just ask ourselves an honest question this morning. Have you loved the Lord your God with all your whole, whole heart, whole mind, whole body, whole strength? We're all saying no. And Jesus would say yes. Yes, I have. I've loved him. I've loved the Lord. I've obeyed the Lord. And so the emphasis here is firstly, Jesus is a Jew born a Jew, raised a Jew. In a sense, he is the Hebrew of Hebrews. For the Hebrew people, he comes as a Jew, born under their law. He meets the perfect requirements of the law, and then he surpasses it. He obeys it perfectly. And all of this to tell us, not just that he's a world-class Jew, but actually he's the fulfillment of the promise that God made to the Jews. And that was that Jesus is the second Adam. Oh, they had Adam, but Adam failed. And then they had Abraham, but Abraham disobeyed. And then Isaac, and then Jacob. And we could go on through the history of all the Jewish people. And David, but he also failed until we get to Jesus. They all failed until we get to Jesus, the world-class Jew who obeyed perfectly. So that's the context for the story. A faithful Jewish family Showing us, just imagine for a minute, would the Jews have listened to a Jesus who was not circumcised? Imagine if his parents didn't go to the temple. Imagine, imagine, imagine Jesus trying to teach the Jews if he rebelled. Imagine if Jesus was a rebellious teenager. Imagine for a minute if Jesus was a disobedient, rebellious teenager. But he wasn't. No one would have listened to him. Let's turn our attention now to Simeon. We'll come back to Jesus. Well, Simeon was ready to depart the world. If Jesus was a world-class Jew, Simeon's ready to depart the world. We need to ask why. Why is he so keen to go? He's really happy to go, isn't he, in the story? 
Well, we, we know Simeon was a godly Jewish prophet priest, and he was serving in the temple, and he'd been serving there year after year after year after year. He was a faithful priest, and he had prayed. I reckon he had prayed this prayer so many times, like many other priests before him. He had prayed this prayer. It was a, was a familiar prayer. Lord, don't let me die until I see the Messiah. Every Jewish priest throughout their history would have prayed this prayer, Lord, let it be to me, grant it unto me, let me see, don't let me die until I see the Messiah. And then that day arrived when that family walked through the temple doors holding baby Jesus. And it's almost the ultimate Lion King moment, isn't it? In verse 28, where he takes Jesus up in his arms and he lifts him to the sky. And he says this, read it with me in Luke 2, uh, 2 verse 28. He took him up in his arms and he blessed God and said, Lord, now you are letting your servant depart in peace according to your word. According to your word, there's no doubt in Simeon's mind, this baby is the one. He lifts Jesus, baby Jesus, infant Jesus. He lifts him up and he says to the whole temple court, he says, behold the second Adam. He lifts up Jesus and he says, behold the greater Abraham. Behold the better David. Here is the long expected Messiah. I can now die. My work is done. Simeon, the faithful Levite, Simeon, the, the, the singing Levite, now is Simeon, the happy-to-go Levite. Why? Why is he so ready? Why is he so eager to die? Well, Luke tells us earlier that his whole occupation had been to go to the temple to pray for the Messiah to come. His whole existence lived, his whole life, his whole every breathing and thinking moment was about serving the Lord faithfully until the Messiah came. And so this was it for him. It was the fulfillment of the promise that God had made, the, the fulfillment of the seed of the woman who would crush the seed of the serpent. This was the moment. His whole life had existed for this. And in this moment, he gazes upon baby Jesus, and he's filled with the Spirit. And he says, my eyes have seen your salvation. That's profound. My eyes have seen the Messiah. My eyes have seen your salvation. What gave Simeon peace to die, to die peacefully, to, to happy to go, was that he had now seen face to face with the God who saves. Because it was always going to be God who would rescue. God had made promises. I will rescue you. I will be your God. You will be my people. I will come. I will do it. And now it's happening. And what Simeon is, is mind-blown about is that, that God has taken on flesh, that, that God is able now to be taken up in Simeon's arms. How is this possible? The great almighty God has condescended and become small so that he could come close. The fact that, that Simeon could take God up in his arms the God who's been holding him his whole life. 
the God who has kept him, the God who has sustained not only him, but his people, the nation, the promises are now all being fulfilled as he holds the Messiah, the one who created the heavens and the earth, he now holds in his arms. Can you imagine the moment? Simeon looks at this infant and he sees the infinite God. Emmanuel, God with us. It's so difficult to describe the incarnation, how God took on flesh. It's so difficult to describe it in human language. It's kind of like painting a mountain on a grain of sand. But Simeon here is rejoicing. Simeon here is fulfilled. Simeon here is ready. He's filled with peace. His job is done. And so we move back to Jesus. We go from Jesus being a world-class Jew to, to Simeon being ready to leave this world to, to actually, what does Simeon say about this Messiah? Because he doesn't just say, my eyes have seen God's salvation. Look again with me at what he says. Let's read it. Third point is Jesus' joy to the world. He says, for my eyes have seen your salvation, listen to this, that you have prepared in the presence of all peoples, all right, that's interesting. We thought the Messiah was coming just for Israel. And you know, remember, Simeon was waiting for the consolation of Israel. Suddenly, Simeon is prophesying much broader, much bigger. Simeon is singing a song that's much bigger than one nationalistic political song just for the people of Israel. He goes on, he says, this isn't just for the, for the people of Israel, this is for all peoples. He goes on in verse 32, a light for revelation to the Gentiles. And for glory to your people Israel. It was glory for Israel because God had been faithful to his promises. They, they had the revelation of who God was. And now that revelation was spilling over the banks of Israel and going to the Gentiles. And so Simeon's song isn't just joy to, to the Jews or joy to Israel or, or joy to Palestine. No, no, it's joy to the world. It's for all peoples. The Messiah has come to bring revelation and light and glory. He's the light of the world, not just for the Jews, but also for the Gentiles. Simeon is so overwhelmed by the goodness of this gospel. Yes, the Jews had longed for the Messiah, but this expectation has just gone over the top. It's, it's blown all of his expectations that, that Jesus would come for Israel, but for more than that, for the world. This baby Jesus will defy all expectations. And what we see here is that Jesus comes for those who were looking for him, because they were waiting. The Jews were waiting, the Jews were longing, the Jews were praying, and he came for those who were looking for him. And here's the good news for us, because I'm, I'm guessing most of us here are Gentile descent. He came for those who weren't looking for him. He came for those that weren't even thinking about him. And here we sit. Testament that Jesus came not only for the Jews, but he came to bring joy to the world for us. The good news of the gospel spills over the banks of the Jordan and flow all the way to us here on the banks of Sunday's River or Swatkops, if you like. The song ends actually with a bit of a paradox. There's actually a little bit of a dark note at the end. I don't know if you picked it up, but it's a little bit of a somber minor note. 
at the end of the song, and there's a bit of a contrast here because this joy that will go to the world will be accomplished through a sorrow. There will be a sorrow that will bring about joy. Simeon says it in verse 34. He says, Simeon blessed them and said to Mary, his mother, Behold, this child is appointed for the fall and rising of many in Israel and for a sign that is opposed. Not everyone will bless him. Simeon is blessing God. but Simeon is praising God. But at the end, he says, not everyone will bless him. Some will oppose him. In other words, he says it this way. This Jesus will be the cause for many to fall and for many to rise. We could say it another way, that, that in Israel, it will divide the nation. It will divide the nations between those who see Christ as a cornerstone and those who see Christ as a stumbling stone. This Jesus, in other words, what he's saying is that you cannot be neutral now about God. It's almost like you could have been because, you know, God was the God of the Jews, you know, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. But, but now Jesus has come. Jesus has revealed to the nations, this is who God is. This is what God is like. And so you can no longer be neutral about God. There is no neutral position. You will either fall or you will rise. Jesus will either be to you a cornerstone or a stumbling stone. There is no neutrality anymore. It doesn't exist. And so my question to us on this Christmas day is, what is he to you? What is he to you? You may not have the opportunity to take him up in your arms, but you can certainly take him up in your heart. If you behold him as the second Adam, as the greater Abraham, as the true and better David, if you can take hold of this Jesus who brings joy to the world, now let me tell you, not only will you die in peace, but you can live in peace. There is, there is so much that disturbs me about our world that we're living in today. I mean, people have got absolutely everything. People with the most money have the least peace. They've got all the toys, but no joy. And what, what, what strikes me here, which is interesting, is that not only do we see a fall and a rising, and we see Jesus coming to Jew and Gentile, but also there is a picture here of young and old. It's interesting that Elizabeth and Zechariah and Simeon and Anna are all at the end of their lives. They're, they're, they're old. They're about to depart. And, and the message to us in contrast to that is Mary and Joseph, they're so young. They're so young. And so at either end of the spectrum, not only is Jesus for Jew and Gentile, but Jesus is also for young and old. You're not too young to serve Jesus wholeheartedly. Listen to me. If you are young here this morning, you decide. If you are young, you're not too young to give your heart and life to Jesus. And if you're old, again, you decide. It's never too late. Chris, we said this to each other this morning. It's never too late to take Jesus up in your arms, metaphorically, and say, my eyes have seen your salvation. There is no salvation outside of Christ. It doesn't exist. And so I want to invite you, young and old, Jew and Gentile, 
to choose this day whether you will fall or whether you will rise with him. Whether you will build your life upon him as a cornerstone or whether Jesus will be to you a stumbling stone. It's not too late. It's never too late to make that call. Do it this Christmas. Not next Christmas. This Christmas. Amen? Let's pray together. Lord, we pray that you would work deeply in our hearts. We want the peace that Simeon had. We want the joy that Simeon had. But it doesn't come apart from Christ. And so we pray that you would give us eyes to see. Yes, Simeon laid his eyes upon the Messiah himself. But we have the revelation now. The revelation of God in the New Testament. The revelation of God in Jesus Christ. The revelation and testimony of history. We can see with the eyes of faith. We can see Christ. We can behold your salvation. And we can declare, yes, Jesus is our salvation. He is joy to the world. He is peace unsurpassed. He is pardon and forgiveness. He is life eternal. Lord, we, we acknowledge this morning that life outside of Jesus, life outside of serving Christ is meaningless. It's an empty existence. We pray that you would give us a longing, a longing for the Messiah, to know him, to love him, to worship him, to serve him, to give our lives for him. Whether we are young or whether we are old, it's never too late, never too early to give our lives to Christ. And so I pray for fresh peace. I pray for the peace of God, the peace of God that surpasses understanding. I pray that it would fall upon every heart here this morning. Oh Lord, won't you please pour out your peace, the peace that only comes through forgiveness of sins, the peace that only comes through receiving Christ as Savior and Lord. Fill us, Lord, this Christmas with fresh, supernatural, Christ-centered peace. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen.